0: Welcome to the EADV podcast. In today's episode, Dr. Sarah Walsh is joined by Professor Margarida Gonzalo, who has a particular interest in cutaneous allergies. She is a senior dermatologist and head of the Department of Dermatology at the University Hospital of Coimbra, Portugal. In this episode, Professor Gonzalo will be sharing her invaluable insights on the latest developments in contact dermatitis research. As she delves into the topic, you can expect to learn about severe drug reactions, allergy testing, and the diagnosis and management of contact dermatitis. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested in improving their understanding of contact dermatitis and its related conditions. But before we get into it, if you haven't already, check out our programme of face-to-face courses offering high quality theoretical and practical training covering a wide variety of specialties. Applications have already opened for courses for 2024, including paediatric dermatology and infectious diseases for nurses in dermatology. Places fill out fast, so subscribe to our mailing list if you'd like to be the first to receive news of when courses go live. You can learn more at eadv.org. Before we begin, an apology to anyone watching the episode recording on the EADV learning platform. Unfortunately, we experienced a technical issue with a video feed halfway through the episode, so the video does cut out, so apologies for that. Nevertheless, we hope you enjoy the episode
1: hello listeners and welcome to this edition of the eadv podcast my name is sarah walsh i'm a dermatology consultant in london and i'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by margarita gonzalo who is a consultant dermatologist a professor of dermatology in portugal and who has particular expertise in the area of cutaneous allergy now i've seen her speak a number of times at the congresses and the symposia for the eadv and i know that she's a really engaging speaker and has huge expertise in this area but i'm interested to know first margarita when you became first interested in cutaneous allergies and um, was it something that happened when you were a resident in dermatology how did you first become engaged in this area
2: So, uh, hello, first of all, I want to thank you for the introduction. And um, actually, uh, I begin somehow interested in uh, cutaneous allergy because my mother was also a dermatologist and she was working in cutaneous allergy. So since I was a student of, um, even a medical student, I used to translate her publications on uh, contact dermatitis. So that's somehow... And then it was an area of expertise that no one really wanted to take over. So I began taking over from, from uh, my mother. And uh, really, I worked uh, with her a lot on allergic contact dermatitis from plants, which was her main topic. But then, of course, I, I decided to go much
1: further. <laughs> oh, so it's really it's really a family affair then, a family <laughs> affair. Very good.
2: Yeah, and didn't begin you, like that.
1: <laughs> can you recall any cases? that perhaps you worked on with your mother that really made an impression on you? You said she specialized in, was it allergy to plants?
2: Yeah, and actually I, I still recall my first uh, presentation at the European Society of Contact Dermatitis in Stockholm I don't tell you how many years ago. <laughs> <And> <laughs> very few, of sure. Very few. <laughs> I presented on allergic contact dermatitis to Composite, to uh, Dietrichia, that was quite frequent among us. And someone asked me, how can you prove it's airborne? So I came home and said, I have to prove it can be airborne. So I just collected the plants. I cut the small trichoma of the, <laughs> and patched as the patients with the trichoma. So that's why someone that just was also pushing me to go for, forward and try to really prove what we were saying. So that's yeah. oh my one so the interesting. Translational, <laughs> translational research. Yeah
1: and it's interesting actually i think you're right some of the most interesting questions arise from q and a sessions after you give a lecture because you're speaking to people who've you're presenting material that you're very familiar with but very often it will be someone in the audience who comes up with a very a very pertinent question that makes you question yourself and i i i agree that's one of the benefits of speaking at, at congresses And and we're here today to get an update from you on what's new in the world of cutaneous allergy. And for me, as a a non-cutaneous allergist, really, in the strict sense of the word, it seems to me that the job of a contact allergist is very difficult in the sense that you are constantly following a moving target in the sense that formulations and the constituents of products are changing all the time. Is that how it feels to you on the on the inside of this subspecialty?
2: Yeah, I think we are a bit like Sherlock Holmes always looking for the for the culprits, and the culprits are always changing. Even, even sometimes we have the same label and they have changed the composition within the cosmetics. It's sometimes it's not easy to, to follow. But I think it's always um interesting to try to look if someone has a, a reaction to let's say a facial cream to try to see which is the real culprit because then we can tell her the culprit is this preservative or is this uh, perfume or um, uh, antioxidant and then she can avoid all the creams or all the products that have the the same um, the same constituent because otherwise if we just say well it's an allergy to a cream a facial cream she will use the next one and she will have allergy again. So I think it's very important to really look for the for the culprit. And uh, then we have to be always looking at the labels and sometimes doing some chemical investigation to really uh, know what the culprit is. Otherwise it, it yeah, will think, not be so informative for the patients.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think the Sherlock Holmes analogy is a good one. And <laughs> yeah. I guess the other important thing is that when you are documenting uh, cutaneous allergy you're also looking not only at the level of the individual but you're also looking at patterns over time and obviously do you how well do you think the regulatory agencies protect consumers from the adverse effects of cutaneous allergy are they responsive enough uh,
2: well um there, there is this uh, committee, the Scientific Committee on Consumer Safety, where we have some dermatologists and some individuals from contact allergy who really give their opinions on what should be done to uh, allergens like um, isothiazolinones, other allergens that are inducing many uh, allergies. But then the problem is to translate into a directive from the EU, And next, it's the application of the directives in every country, which sometimes is not, this flow is not really very easy. I can just recall you, this week we had a a meeting of the European contact dermatitis group, and Ian White said that he had already reported that vitamin K should be removed from cosmetics, and this was um, more than 10 years ago, and some of the products that had it had been removed and suddenly from Spain, they are presenting more than 10 cases of severe allergic contact hematitis of the face from vitamin K. K. So um, you see even some directives have been produced or some opinions have been produced and then somehow they are forgotten and there are uh, they, these uh, strong allergens come back into the market and produce problems.
1: So you can make all the recommendations in the world, but if there isn't any way of enforcing them, yeah, as you say, it's going to translate into into problems. And of course, this constant reformulation, they're not, that's not the only challenge facing the cutaneous uh, allergist. You know, we're always getting new, completely new devices on the markets, which bring their own Mm -hmm. problems. And I'm thinking specifically um, of these devices, these revolutionary devices which have transformed people's lives um, in the world of diabetes for measuring blood glucose on a continuous um, in a continuous fashion and delivering insulin to suit the blood glucose level because they've got problems with acrylates, haven't they? And can can you tell us a little bit about this emerging problem and what is being done to to combat it?
2: Yeah, this is a real problem because it's very very frequent. It is a problem of, of acrylates, but not only acrylates. You see, these these uh, individuals have to have an adhesive stick to their skin for two, three weeks, sometimes more. And uh, the first real culprit of the allergy in these situations was um, uh, isobornyl acrylate. But how did we find it? It was not information of the of the the. Producers. It was due to chemical investigation, a lot of chemical investigation then, especially in Malmo in and in Belgium, that they could find what the allergen is. Because not even the producers, they don't really know what it is. But now, apart from the from the the this acrylate, other acrylates have been found. And also they use uh, they find also cases of allergy to the glue to uh, colophony you remember colophony was an allergen of the tapes of the old tapes now they have a modified colophony that also induces a lot of reactions and this is really terrible because these patients cannot stand the the neither the glucose sensors not, not neither the insulin pumps that have to be stick to the skin and also when they try to measure the real glucose levels, if they have a lot of inflammation below the sensor, the, the the levels will not be correct; will be low. And and then you imagine the the pump that will work accordingly to this information will work wrong. So it's not only a problem of biology; it's also a problem of um, inefficiency in a certain way of these of these. Um, uh, sensors and the, 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 consequently also of the of the pumps. the big the big problem, the big problem is that these are medical devices, and in medical devices it's not mandatory to have the full labeling. Uh, both the European Society of Contact Amatitis and the ADV are working to try to change this situation. But it's not very easy because, for instance, for the glucose sensors, part of the of the material is made in China. And we ask, how did you, what glue did you put there? They don't know. (laughs) So it's not easy to have the full composition of this material. And again, we have to be Sherlock Holmes doing all the chemical investigations.
1: You have to be you have to be knowledgeable about the law, international relations. It's a very diverse role as the cutaneous that you have. And are there any analogies between these problems that we're seeing with the glucose monitoring and, for example, stoma bags? Because I remember certainly when I was a resident in dermatology, it was a relatively frequent referral that people who had had stomas for either, you know, colostomies or urostomy bags. run into problems both irritant and contact um with
2: their the adhesive materials in the bags is it similar to that in any way? In a certain way it's similar Um, not always the same allergens Uh, they have not as far as I know identified ibo, which was the main culprit in the census that actually it has been uh, modified but uh, other acrylates and specially modified colophony that is responsible for these stoma protectors but um, quite often um, there were many cases that it was not the adhesive but it was the um, the liquid they applied to the skin before to clean the skin before applying it or uh, the disinfected which could uh, really increase the either the irritancy and then consequently the allergenicity of the of the product but it's also a big uh, problem because we also don't have the composition of these uh, of, of these uh, devices So contact dermatitis is uh, is never boring
1: <laughs> and tell me the other thing you sent me some very useful literature to prepare for um, our podcast today and I was very interested also by the concept of new, reservoirs appearing of common culprits of contact allergy. I'm thinking specifically of MI and MCI, which you've already referred to. And can you give us an update on what's been happening with the isothiazolinones? Yeah,
2: the the, the isothiazolinones that have been a big problem, one of them is methyl isothiazolinone. And actually, according to EU regulations or directives, it has been removed from Livon Cosmetics in 2017. Uh, and uh, only a minority of the mixture of methyl and uh, methylchloroisothiazolinone is allowed in rinse of products. But the problem is this is for cosmetic products for personal use. If you go to professional use, like hairdressers, if you go to the hotels and you look at the labels of the shampoo you have, they still have this allergen. So, we are not completely read uh, of it. Also, children playing with slime. Slime has this allergen. So, we have published a few cases of children with hand dermatitis for playing with slime it's extraordinary
1: absolutely extraordinary who would have thought an innocent childhood toy could you know really provoke such a such a such a problem and as you point out there's so many challenges and the it seems to me that the the, the regulations are not fully protecting the the consumer and which must be an extraordinary challenge for people working in cutaneous allergy
2: yes because the 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 regulations are not all under the same umbrella let's say there are um, for uh, personal products there is one <laughs> commission or one uh, organ of the, the EU that is responsible for pro- professional products there are other uh, uh, areas of the of the safety concerns that take care of this so you you have, for instance, for high uh, MCI, you have the limit of 15 ppm in um, in a rinse of products, and you can have up to 400 or 600 ppm in professional products. So it's so <laughs> strange, it's so
1: inconsistent,
2: and you know, not not
1: not joined up. It, it's it's extraordinary. Um, one also one other story that I was very interested in in the world of cutaneous allergy in the last um, year or two was that of the the shin pad uh, dermatitis. And presumably, a lot of cases of rashes on the shins related to shin pads are caused by irritancy or friction. And um, but in the last eighteen months, I understand that a new culprit has been identified. Can you tell us about that, Margarita?
2: Yeah the first uh, cases we saw we also thought it was uh, related to irritancy and friction especially because many of these children were atopic patients uh, but uh, then even if you protected the skin if you put the chin pads over one layer of uh, um, of the tissue the the reaction kept going and so we identified the this um, Allergen uh, cetophenonazine that is uh, a kind of a byproduct or a contaminant of the during the production of the foam that is inside these shin pads. But it, it's not only shin pads. You you see it also in um, uh, like uh, for instance the uh, uh, bicycle saddles, sneakers, swimming goggles. Um, so so many other um objects that are used mostly in sport activities and so it is really um, a problem it's a new allergen that is uh, coming into the block so and probably there are related compounds that are found in cosmetics and they are quite potent allergens but this is still a story that is not fully, uh, fully understood boring.
1: yeah yeah and i guess as you, as 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 you say the fact that there is a plausible alternative explanation like irritancy or friction probably delayed the identification of this this problem. And tell me, Margarita, when you identify a new problematic allergen, how long does it typically take for that observation to translate into regulatory change?
2: It takes quite a long, long time. (laughs) it's not easy to convince uh, either the industry or uh, the cosmetic cosmetic industry of the need to to make these changes. Uh, I remember with the problem of MI and MCI, it took quite a long time to really convince that this was a real allergen and that we are sensitizing a great percentage of the population with these allergens. And then before... Cosmetic industry really uh, understood it was a problem until we go to the safety agencies and uh, until we we have the directives. It takes more than ten years. Uh,
1: so you really have to push for change, and even then, it takes well many years, which is not not not
2: very good for the for the consumer. No, not very good for the consumers, but uh, happily, we have organizations in Europe that collect data from many centers. Uh, and then we are publishing them and trying to uh, show the industry that it can be important to to detect these new allergens and try to remove them. But sometimes they say, oh, these this are data from uh, patients, not from the whole population. And so they do not really believe them unless it's a very, very strong problem. And we really push uh, a lot. Yeah, yeah.
1: Presumably because some of these changes will have cost implications for the for the industry which uh, will be at the front of, of their minds and so just changing the topic a little bit when we were in um, Seville last month Margarita you were kind enough to come af- up to me after my talk on severe drug reactions to share with me your experience of um, cutaneous allergy testing for drug allergy in the context of SJS and TEN and I was really fascinated and I wondered if you could tell our listeners a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, one of my uh, topics for many years is uh, skin testing or patch testing in uh, non-immediate drug uh, reactions, mainly in exanthema in DRESS, in Egypt, but also we have tested uh, many cases of SGSTN. Uh, we must say that the it is not in this particular case, SGSTN, it's not the most rewarding because the percentage of positive uh, reactions is not above 10 or 50 or 20%. But especially, it's not really so much. But um, sometimes you can identify the culprit. We just uh, published the case from a, a young child that had had many drugs and also a new anticonvulsant. And we could really prove by patch testing that um, it was the anticonvulsant that was the, the real culprit. So I think it's worth uh, testing in non-immediate drug reactions because it is safe. Also, it is uh, uh, highly reproducible. We have uh, patch tested some of these patients uh, 10 or 15 years after, and they are still, still have positive patch tests to carbamazepine, to amoxicillin, to whatever the, the, the culprit is. We have more than 80, 85% reproducibility after 15 years or 10 years' medium, which I think it's uh, very good and speaks for the uh, real, I, I would say, how stubborn our T-cells are and do not yeah. really change their their way of mind and keep on reacting against the, these That's uh, fascinating. Yeah. And I
1: think you told me as well that... When you have patch tested in a case in the convalescent phase following an episode of sjstn, you sometimes get lesions at the patch test site that resemble sjstn. Is that is that correct?
2: Yeah, we have been performing uh, biopsies of patch tests, and um, we had one case that clinically sort of. It, it, one case that we tested it was a real TEN that we tested afterwards with carbamazepine, we test with more concentration so we had a, a severe reaction with the Nikolsky sign and when we biopsied them, it, uh, when we biopsied it, it was a full-blown epidermal necrolysis like we would have in, uh, in the acute situation. And we have shown this for AGEP, where we see pustules in, in the patch test and we have done it in DRESS and the immaculapapular exantema and the the clinical aspect and the histological aspect of the patch test somehow resemble the the acute uh, reaction. That is really very interesting. I think we can say that the patch test is a um, a kind of a localized drug provocation test. So I think it's very interesting, like a, a, a like a
1: micro a microcosm of the yeah. of the reaction in the whole skin. And do you have a feeling yet, having tested a number of patients following sjs and I appreciate it is obviously a very rare reaction. Are there any families of drugs such as anticonvulsants or penicillin type antibiotics that tend to give the most useful patch test results in
2: SJSTN? The, the most uh, rewarding drugs to test are anticonvulsants, and especially carbamazepine. Carbamazepine are the like, uh, or the analogs like eslicarbazepine or oxcarbazepine, they usually have positive uh, results. For instance, if it is allopurinol, you'll never find a positive result. We've tried it uh, in many vehicles, in many concentrations. We even tested oxypurinol, which seems to be the real culprit, and for patch testing, it is not uh, really um, useful. Oh, that's, that's that's really fascinating, really fascinating.
1: And um, it's been so interesting speaking to you, Margarita, um, and I'd just like to finish up by just asking, um, what aspects of your career in
2: cutaneous allergy have you enjoyed the most? I think that this um, patch testing in drug allergies really, um, has really been uh, different from... It's a way of somehow going beyond contact allergy, because I think it's important to know this interaction between contact allergy and uh, drug allergy, where you are exposed by systemic route because um, some patients who get sensitized uh, through the skin, like, for instance, for acrylates, they can then develop reactions when they are exposed to, to acrylates, for instance, when they have, a, 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 how do you say, in the teeth, when you apply your, your teeth and put some acrylate to bind it. or oh, you, yeah. The, um, fi- fixative for dentures. Or, or for, for a bone prosthesis. Uh, you you may react to it, um, or you are allergic to nickel, and then you, or to gold, and you may have quicker restenosis of the, uh, when you do, um, in cardiology, you do this uh, treatment, the stents, with the stents, so this is very interesting, this... um, relation between contact allergy and systemic reactions and also the relation between drug allergy when you are exposed or sensitized through uh, systemic uh, uh, administration and then you develop this uh, positive patch test. I think this has been really interesting and I think we have to to tell other people that uh, contact allergy is not only a problem of the skin because if you are exposed... By other means, like uh, with the drug, or for instance, the case of the acrylates, namely when we restore your teeth or or things like that, you may have systemic uh, reactions. So I think it's always there's always things to discover and things to study in 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 patch testing.
1: And your, and your also, all your detective your detective work and your and your legal work. And finally, do you have any words of advice for the patch testers of the future?
2: Presumably, curiosity is very important. I think curiosity is very important. And uh, I think one thing that we usually, actually, it's Marcos Mauro that uses it for chronic for, uh, urticaria but I think we should use it also here and never give up. So. Try to go on as deep as you can in understanding what is the which is the real culprit in in every case you 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 have to deal with. So that's I think my my message. So determination
1: and curiosity, which I think would serve you very well in in any area of dermatology. Margarita, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you. I've really really enjoyed. Um, what we've talked about. I really enjoyed all the background winding and I'm sure our listeners will have learned
2: a huge amount from listening to you. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure sharing all this data with you and uh, with our colleagues that will listen to our podcast. So bye and thank you. Before you go, a quick favour. If
0: you are a regular listener to our podcast, we would love to hear from you. Your feedback will help us improve the show and develop episodes that you are interested in hearing. To participate in the short survey, simply follow the link in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for your support, it means a lot. We look forward to hearing from you. Until the next episode, take care of your skin.